Thank you, Trevor. Yeah, you guys can respond. This is a cool church that way. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Hi, guys. Hi, everyone. So as a surprise, today I'm preaching. I don't know if we announced that or not. Um, Eric approached me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, do you want to preach? And he's like, how about two weeks? And when you ask me that, I'm always going to say yes. I love preaching. I love sharing the word of Jesus. This is a joy to me. Um, you probably know it's a panic to my wife, but it's a joy to me. Uh, she always worries about what's going on. And, you know, this, this time when Eric asked me uh, what I was thinking and what I wanted to preach on, immediately I came to Woman at the Well. And I'm like, yes, yes, I want to preach that one. And I did that because I wanted to preach about evangelism. And Eric said, okay, two weeks. You're going to split in half? I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And actually studying the word, I've obviously read the passage over and over and, and have known it for quite a long time. Um, but studying the word and realizing that there is basically two breaks in this story. Um, I'm a basic guy and I'll bring everything down to simplicity. Okay. I, I'm not well educated. Um, yeah, it's, I know the Bible. So that's it. And my memory is failing, but we'll do what we can. So anyway, I'm an old guy. Uh, in your blue Bibles, if you'd like to turn to the woman at the well, I believe it's 984. Could be 894, but I believe it's 984. So, <laughs> I, okay, so we're good there. But we're going to be speaking of the woman at the well. Uh, right off the bat, though, I want to thank Kim and the worship team. Um, you know, it's, it, it really is. You guys, we're not, they're not here so that we have something cute to listen to. They bring it into worship, and you would not understand the feelings I had when Kim responded <clears throat> to the sermon outline that I had. I read through it, and a tear in my eye, and I'm just like, sermon's done. That's, thanks, Kim. We got it. And, and it was beautiful, and I know you guys don't see that email, um, but the thought she puts in in looking at it, and then for the worship team to come in, short practice and get this together so that we're in a thought of Christ and loving him. It's fantastic. And I thank you. And why I'm on that, I wanted to thank Debbie for this morning uh, because she was talking to Chris and she said, happy Father's Day to Chris. And she said, but let me explain. She said, I know you don't have a child. She said, but you're a father to somebody. And she gave examples. And I thought how true that is, that we are fathers and mothers to people besides those that have been birthed by us. You know, and it's so important that we remember our true and heavenly father. He loves us. And he says, be my, you know, follow my example. Be a shining light, a reflection of what I am. And as fathers, we should go out and love those around us. So it doesn't take a biological child to be a father you have that opportunity because we are sons and daughters of the greatest father there is. So anyway, thank you guys for all that. And it's a beautiful way to start. Um, before I pray, I wanted to tell you that uh, we're going to be in John. And to come up after Esther and just jump at you and go, hey, we're going to talk about the woman of the well. There we go. Um, I want to slow down just a hair. The book of John is one of the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the fourth one. And John starts in, on a basic end of it, again, very basic. John wrote the gospel to show and to share that Jesus 
truly is the promised Messiah. Okay, He was talking, he's a, he wants to show us that Jesus is the Son of God. And through faith and believing, we can have eternal life. And John writes this in specific ways to reach and tells about things to reach not only the Jews, but to the non-Jews. And so you have those that are the Jewish, those that are non-Jew. John's like, hey, Jesus loves everyone. There's not a separation. So I'm going to try to explain this in these terms. So John goes through that. Well, the first thing he does is he starts out the book with the introduction of Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he goes through and he continues to describe the attributes of Jesus. He doesn't come in and, and grab you by the collar and go, let me tell you what you have to do. But he says, okay, this is who I'm going to be talking about. Then he goes into the testimony of John the Baptist. I'm in early days. John and John the Baptist were the same people to me. Sorry, didn't know. I hope you do. And I'm not quizzing anybody. I'm not making hands go up. John the Baptist is a different person from the disciple John. Okay, so John the Baptist was a forerunner or somebody going ahead of Jesus saying, here comes Jesus, make way, clear the path. And so John tells about that. John the Baptist is baptizing and telling people of all that is going to happen and those that are coming. And he sees Jesus walking up and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And so he introduces, he's an introduction for there. From that, Jesus starts going out and he starts picking up his disciples and he calls out the disciples and he picks up Andrew and Andrew finds his brother and he goes to his brother and he says, hey, we found the Messiah. Okay, so he's not saying, hey, we found a really cool guy that knows a lot. John the Baptist says, Lamb of God. Peter comes in and he says, we found the Messiah. Simon, I'm sorry. And then they go, and Jesus calls Philip and Nathaniel. And Philip and Nathaniel start talking, and there's a discussion, and this isn't a sermon, so I'm just going to say, he points out, and Nathaniel says, you are the Son of God. And so these people, just by these slight contexts, are realizing who Jesus is. So after he does that, John goes into a story about the wedding at Cana. Now, you might not understand that one, but the simplest way I can talk about that is that is when Jesus turned water into wine, and we probably all know that. Again, not the sermon. I'm just giving you a highlight of where we're going here. So then, after the miracle occurs and Jesus turns the water into wine, Jesus goes to the temple. The Passover's at hand. Jesus goes into the temple. He sees people making money, profiting, and doing things that are wrong in the temple, and he cleanses the temple. And he realizes how evil and, and what is in man's heart. And at the end of that chapter, chapter 2, he says, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knows you guys. There's nothing that anybody has to explain. There's nothing we're hiding from him. Jesus truly knows you. He knows everything about you. So then, <clears throat> Nicodemus who is a ruler of the Jews, a very high up official, doesn't want everybody to know that he's questioning Christ. So he attends and he goes and sees Christ at night and they have a discussion. And Nicodemus doesn't understand this and they start talking about being born again. And Nicodemus is like, hey, how does this happen? And, and it goes through the whole thing and Jesus is trying to explain to him. 
you know, here's a ruler. This sounds good to me because if you tell the ruler, he'll tell the people. So Jesus goes there and he tells Nicodemus and he's answering the questions and having discussions. And in the same chapter, we run into John 3.16, very familiar verse, for God so loved the world. And it says, well, I'll read the, the whole thing because verse 17 is just as important. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay, that's pretty cool. And then at the end, John the Baptist, at the end of chapter three, John the Baptist is out there. Jesus and his disciples are over baptizing. Okay, and John is nearby with his disciples baptizing and his disciples start having a question. They're like, hey, remember that guy you told us about? He's over there baptizing. What's going on? And John says, no, he's the Lord. He's the Messiah. I need to step down so he can be elevated up. Okay, not exact words, just paraphrase. <laughs> but, but John the Baptist is identifying who God is. So just in three simple chapters, we have people knowing that this Jesus in short periods of time is the Messiah, is the true Son of God. So it's pretty cool. He talks to the high ups and he talks to Nicodemus and, and knowing these people. But we now today, we're going to come to Jesus and the woman at the well. So let us first pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you on this day that we celebrate Father's Day. Lord, we truly look to you as the true, great and loving father that you are. We thank you, Lord, for the life that we have. And Lord, we do not want to direct our own life. We want to be directed by you. We want your Holy Spirit to live within us, Lord. We want to be saved from our sins. We want to be in your glory forever. And Lord, this is not just a dream or a human desire or hope. Lord, this is a truth that you have given us. That Lord, that we will be with you forever. That you have taken our sins, Lord. And that you will care for us and love us forever. We know that you know us, Lord, and unfortunately, we would like to hide a lot of things that we do, but we can't. So we ask for forgiveness. We ask for your spirit to lead us, not this world. Lord, please be with us, and even at this moment, Lord, may the words that are spoken be yours, not mine. We thank you, Lord, for your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to start with chapter 4. And we're going to go through at least verse 26. I know I had written down 30. Um, we'll see what happens at the end. See if I get there. <clears throat> anyway, let me read it first. And if you're with me, again, 984 in the Blue Bibles or whatever Bible you're in, John chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink of water from me, a woman of Samaria. 
for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you, are now, the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is here now, it is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This is the word of God. So we have a pretty cool story, and it starts out with Jesus learning that the Pharisees has heard what he is doing. Now, the simplicity of this word doesn't tell us what he's thinking, what he, why he had to leave, why he wanted to leave, what the desire was. It just says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judah and departed again for Galilee. Judah, if you look on a map, is south of Galilee, and Samaria is right in the middle, and it's pretty much a north-south line. So technically, if you look at it and you measure it out, and you use your scale on the maps, depending on how he had to waver through the paths and things like that, anywhere from 65 to 80 miles. Okay, that Jesus has to make this journey depending on where he's going. So the miles, don't even worry about that number, but it's a distance. So as an example, we're 50 miles to Chicago. So I don't know how many of you are walking there today, but it's a little bit of a distance. So Jesus, again, probably not for the fact that, hey, I'm afraid of these guys, but he knew his plan. He knew God's plan, and he knew that the Pharisees would disrupt that or try to. And so he said, okay, we're packing up and we're going to journey. 
Now, as he came down, he had to pass through Samaria. The Jews normally would take an extended route and they would go around Samaria. Samaria. They wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. Okay, They were a breed of people that were against the Jews and, and there's a whole other study about that of why and how and this and that. But the Jews didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. A lot of the, hmm, what would you say, the old-fashioned or, I don't know, for me having not a better word, the true Jew would go, okay, coming up, here's Samaria. I'm avoiding it at all costs and heading to Galilee. Jesus, it says right here, he had to pass through Samaria. Okay, didn't have to. Okay, Geologic, or geographically, yeah, it was a straight run. You're going to run through it if you go straight. But the he had to more spiritually shows that he's following God's design, God's plan. Jesus is not varying off of this. He knows that he has to go there. And if I were to say he had to go there to meet this woman, I don't know. I'm not going to share that. I'm not going to. I did share it. Sorry. Um, but God has a plan and Jesus knew what it was. And Jesus determined that that's the way he was going to go. I'm going right through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey and sitting beside the well, wearied from his journey. This is Jesus. I don't know about you, but I figured Jesus is Superman. I've often had thoughts of, well, he was God. He, he wasn't weary. You know, he was acting it or whatever. But it shows right here, it says, God's word says he was wearied. That shows that God came down as Jesus in the form of man 100%. Everything that you and I go through, when you start going through and go, well, Jesus never experienced this. I got up, I'm old, I'm my back, man, whatever. Jesus was 100% human. His godliness, which was 100% as well, didn't cover up the humanness. He wasn't human plus. My mind doesn't fathom that. I can't understand it. But I know that he was 100% man and at the same time 100% God. The 100% man didn't detect or deter from his 100% godliness. There was never anything that God was lacking because Christ was on earth. There was no restriction in God where he said, ah, Christ is on earth, I'm lacking a little bit of my help, I can't do this, I'm, I'm missing a part. No, 100% man, 100% God. And as a 100% man, the reason he did that is to show you and I he knows us. We can't say God doesn't know us because He's never experienced our things. He's experienced it all. God is there and Jesus has walked here. It shows us that He was wearied. He just walked probably two and a half days. Got there and He's tired. I don't know about you guys, but I work about five or six hours and I'm tired. I know what tired is. And believe me, in, in a lot of my life, I didn't think Jesus did. But Jesus walked the earth as a man. He was tired. He was sitting beside the well. Don't want to make much of it, but Jesus was tired enough to go, hey guys, 
I'm going to sit. I'm going to rest my body. And he was sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's approximately noon. The sixth hour is noon, and it says he's about the sixth hour. Now, a couple things about the sixth hour. You guys know that it's the hottest point of the day. Noon, the sun's beating down, it's straight ahead, it's hot. So when you're out there and there's a well and there's livestock to take care of, you go to the well in the morning or you go to the well in the evening. You go when it's cool to draw your water. This is exhausting work. This well is, well, now it's 100 feet deep. We don't know how much it was at his time. The well is still in existence, by the well, way. It's still, you can still find it. It's still there. Um, but anyway, so about the sixth hour, Jesus is sitting there, and here comes a woman. Number one, she's by herself. Normally wouldn't happen in that culture. Okay? They would be gathered together to go draw water for their needs. They would do it in the morning or they would do it in the evening. So what this tells us is that she's probably an outcast. She's probably not welcomed by the community she's from. People are looking bad at her, looking down to her lifestyle or maybe just because they are. And she goes to the well. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. So Jesus is sitting there alone. His disciples are gone. Here comes a woman. Culturally, this conversation doesn't happen. The, woman, the man does not speak with the woman alone. The woman does not respond to the man. You don't do that. Jesus is a Jew. She's from Samaria. Number one, woman, nope. Samaria, nope. Don't have anything to do with them. And she comes to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Jesus didn't say anything else to her. He didn't start out with, hey, what are you up to? What's going on? Why are you here alone? Let me see what's happening. Why isn't anybody with you? Jesus just comes up and, give me a drink. She looks at him and she knows, hey, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink from a woman, from a Samaritan woman. She knows all these things are wrong in the culture. Jesus doesn't care about the culture. Jesus cares about her. Eric had talked last week or maybe the week prior about all the coincidences that lead up to different things. Here's Jesus has to go on this journey. He heard the Pharisees knew about him. Had to go through Samaritan, Samaria. Had to rest. Sat by a well. Surprise! The woman shows up. Wow, that's odd. Good thing that happened. Otherwise, this story would not be here. God's whole plan was to tell you and I this story. And it really happened. So Jesus says, give me a drink, and she questions him. The funny thing that we'll see in here is that we never hear about Jesus getting a drink. <laughs> it's not in this passage. There's not an obedience to Jesus right away. 
She doesn't say, sure, and, and we'll talk after I get this. Okay, there's other stories where a woman's at a well and they say, hey, would you give me some water? Yes, I will, and I'll also get your uh, animals and all this. But at this point, Jesus is there. She doesn't obey. There's no obedience here. There's just a thought of, wait a minute, who are you? So she asks, she says, how can you do this? How can you ask me? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. They're no longer talking about the HTO or H2O that's sitting in the bottom of that well. Jesus is coming to her and said, you know what? If you knew who I was, you'd be asking for something totally different that will quench a thirst that you may not even know you have, but you will be filled forever. So she again responds, looks at him and says, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. Then the well is deep. So first she's going to put Jesus in his place. You're offering me living water and you don't stand a chance. You don't have anything to pick the water out of there. You have nothing to give me. The well is deep. You can't get that for me. And she says, where do you get that living water? Obviously, you can't get it out of that well, so you must have it hidden somewhere else. Jesus isn't talking about a hidden supply of living water. He's not talking about a living supply of living water with you and I either. It's nothing we have to search for and go try to find and some secret discovery or code, and then we're going to find it, and then we'll be saved. Jesus is saying, it's right here. I have it, and I can give it to you. Then she also asked, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well. He's the guy who brought it up. He drank from it himself, and his sons, and his livestock. Everybody that has been in the relationship from Jacob up had been drinking from that well. That well is what was producing all the water. Again, she's trying to cover or hide or discuss and say, who are you? What are you talking about? Because physically, none of this makes sense. You're offering something that I can see you can't give me. Jesus said to her, everybody who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, meaning the liquid. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The living water in him. Not that we get poured upon, and here's a little bit. Jesus said, the living water is a wellspring welling up inside of you for eternal life forever. There's no limited amount. There's no restriction. It is a continuing flow in you. You can't share it enough where you run out. You can't love enough where you're out of it. It's a living flow from God, never ending. <clears throat> the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. That'd be a cool end of that sentence, realizing that she knew exactly what he was talking about and wanted to know him and have eternal life. But then she continues, 
so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. We still have physical needs, you guys. We always will as long as we're breathing. Jesus knows that. But those physical needs are surpassed by the greater need of Jesus. Jesus continued. He said to her, he says, go, call your husband and come here. It's kind of a weird question. But in that time, you know, you, you can maybe figure that the male was the head of the house and that you should discuss that with him and he should lead it to his wife and, and all of those things. But obviously Jesus knows better. So he says, go call your husband and then come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus, without condemning her at all, says, you're right. You're right in saying that. You have no husband. You have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. Jesus didn't do a Google search on her. Didn't track her down, didn't do anything. Jesus knew her past, her present, and more importantly, Jesus knows her future. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You are somebody that knows things that only God can know. She doesn't think of him as the Messiah. But at that point, she's going, man, this guy's good. This guy knows things that I don't know, and he must have got it from somewhere else than watching us. It's definitely divine. So she says, he must have gotten this word from God, so you're a prophet. Then from there, again, there's no water coming up to drink. There's no glass. It doesn't say Jesus took a great cold glass of water and drank it down. The whole conversation is turning. So she says, if you're a prophet, I have some questions. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So right away she goes to theology and, and hey, let's, what's right? If you're a prophet and you have some good understanding, I have some questions. Still not knowing that she is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus said, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and in fact is now here, when the true worshiper, worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. <clears throat> so he's saying, you know what? Yeah, Jerusalem has a temple. There is a place to worship. But there's a time coming and is now here, meaning that Jesus is standing there. It all rests on Jesus. The worship of God is from Jesus. So it is all right there, and he is trying to explain this to her. And he says, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. People worshiping in him in spirit and truth. You guys all came to this building today. Guess what? Absolutely nothing special about the building. Okay? Because you came through those doors doesn't make you saved. 
Because you spend an hour and a half doesn't mean you're saved. Because you physically came and listened to me, how foolish you are. But you came here and I can't grant you salvation. I can only tell you about the one who can. It is in spirit. God is with us right now. At this point, the woman at the well was standing next to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Physically standing there. And we think, oh, how cool that would be. Jesus ascended to heaven and sent us His Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is right here today. Right with us. If you could even slightly grasp what that means without thinking I'm just talking words. If you could believe that Jesus is sitting here in everything you're thinking, in everything you're doing, in everything that you are, in everything that you were, is in his mind and in his thoughts. And he's not here condemning you. He's hearing, or he's here to say, know me better because I love you. You guys, as we, as we go through this, there's a turning point. There, there's an edge that you have to stop and take this not as a story anymore or intellectual knowledge or information. And you have to realize that this is communication from God to you. This book isn't here so that we know all the old information. This book is here because God wants to know you. He does. But more importantly, he wants you to know him. This isn't a story about a woman at a well. This is a story about you and I. Thinking that we need something from Jesus. I need to be saved. Why? Because I don't want to go to hell. Oh, really? Is that the reason? Maybe it could be about love that God has given you the greatest gift there is, and he cares so much for you that you could share and always want to be with him and next to him. Instead of filling yourself with something you don't need, fill yourself with God. They continue talking. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. You guys set yourself in this position. Because Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Is there something that you're missing, you guys? Are you waiting for Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to show up and explain all things to you? Because the truth is, by reading this word in this passage today, he is speaking to you. And he is standing right there. He's right next to you. Who is this Jesus? Who is this that loves me so greatly? He's right here. And he says, it's me. I who speak to you am he. You and I are not standing by a well. You and I are holding his word. This is a living word, you guys. This is Jesus speaking to you. This is Jesus standing at a well saying, I know you. I know who you are. I know what you're going through. Don't look at yourself through the eyes of others. Look at yourself through my eyes because there's perfection. 
Look at yourself in the love that I give you. And he says, I who speak to you am he. This is the first time in this book that, that God is actually saying, Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. There's no question. We let up and I was quickly reviewing through the first chapters of everybody that saw him. Some of them just at a distance and went, that's him, that's him, that's him. How does that happen? How do we know that Christ is the Messiah? It's certainly not by what I'm telling you. And certainly not by knowledge and factual information. It is because God put a thirst in your body. God put a thirst in your soul. And the only thing that can quench it is Him. Nothing else will fulfill that thirst. Jesus describes that to the woman. Yeah, we're talking about water in a well. But let me tell you about living water. You know, it's kind of crazy because this, this woman comes up and she doesn't even know she's thirsty for the living water that Christ has. She knows physically she has a thirst, but she doesn't know. And I was thinking this week, I'm like, how could that be? And then I remembered a trip to Arizona. We went out last year and our son was there. Well, I never believed in a dry heat, but I have to give in. It was a dry heat. It didn't affect me. <clears throat> so we're walking through the desert gardens and we're going through there and our son just keeps telling us, here, drink, here, drink. I'm good. I'm not sweating. I'm not thirsty. I don't need it. And he kept saying, no, you have to. You have to drink. You're thirsty. Your body needs this. Internally, you're dying unless you drink this. And we're like, no, I'm not thirsty. And so luckily he kept pushing us and we kept drinking and we never had any problems. Our son knew what we needed greater than we did. How much more does our father know what we need than we do? He knows us unbelievably. And so there's a thirst. There's an exact reason why you're sitting where you are today. You didn't come here because you knew I was preaching. Most of you didn't. You didn't come here because it's the most fun thing you can think of. But there was something in your heart and in your soul, it said, you know what? I need to be at church today. I need to sit down and pay attention to what the Word is. And you guys, I can't share how much it scares me to be up here to share God's Word because I know I won't do it perfectly. I sat there and prayed, and I'm like, God, not my words, yours. Please, 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 because I'm going to blow it. But my confidence is, is I get to read the passage first. So I know I didn't blow it. You guys heard the word of God. And all I'm doing right now is trying to have you absorb it. To share with you what it means. I love my outlines because I never turn a page. I write them all down like I have no clue where I'm at. But it's good enough for me because I feel good about the message and that's all we need. <laughs> so let me just take a moment. Review if there's anything super cool that I missed. You guys would not believe the sermons in my head all week. They're fantastic. <laughs> so, but anyway, you know, I just want to sum it up. And I, I know this is early for you guys. And I think since it's Father's Day, you won't be mad at me. But Jesus knows where you are. 
he'll be there to show your show himself to you. There's no place on this earth that God can't find you. There's no place on this earth that God doesn't know where you're at. He will be there. He is there. He sees you better than you see yourself. Never undercut yourself. I know that I said I'm panicked up here, and, and you know it really is the truth because God's word is perfection, and, and my word is nowhere near. But if I read his word, we're all good. Look at yourself as a son and daughter of God, loved by the creator of this universe. He wants you to clearly see him. One of the reasons we talk and we teach and, and you know, we go into greater depth and, and depending on our relationships, we can have totally different discussions. The first thing I want you to know is that there is a Christ. There is salvation and that it's available to you. If you want to talk about how it breaks down to Greek and Hebrew and all the other stuff and the theology of it and Calvinism and, and all that, hey, we can play that game. I'll be honest with you, I often don't have time to do that because there's so many lost people that don't even know Jesus. I need to get out there and say, hey, do you know the Lord? But all of these things are important. So he wants you to clearly see him. So he gives us this information. He gives people better than myself to teach you and to uh, understand him better. And he is standing there. It's just a matter of whether we see him or not, if we believe him or not. He will quench the thirst that he is giving you. That is the only way. There's nothing on this earth. There's nothing that we have. There's no Gatorade that's going to cover this. It's a desire for God, and only God can fulfill it. The thirst that you have and the desire you have, whether you know that desire or not, is within you, and God is there for you. So I just end by asking, are you thirsty? Do you need a drink? Jesus is sitting at the well just for you. And he truly is. Dear Father in heaven, even as I speak, Lord, it's not for the people standing here, it's to you. Lord, we thank you that we can hear your word that you saved this book for us, Lord, that you protected it, that you guided it, and you put it in our hands. Lord, that you gave us lives that so reflect in every passage of this Bible. Lord, and that is because you are real, you are true, and that you are here. I often think, Lord, that I'm undeserving of your love, but it is such a greater love than I can even imagine that you pass to us freely that you've paid a great price for it, and yet you share it abundantly. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to share this word in this time. And Lord, I truly pray that everybody that hears your word in this message, Lord, truly knows you, and that we walk out of here with confidence, knowing that as much as we share, we'll still have a bounty. Lord, we thank you, and let us reach out to all those that don't know you, Lord. Let us be your light. Let us be your reflection, Lord. We thank you for all that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.